So, as a family, um, we're watching Loki at the moment on uh, Saturday mornings. It's, it really is our family thing. On a Saturday morning, while we're eating our breakfast, we watch the latest episode of Loki. Um, and as a and you know, because I'm a dad, of course, and I see uh, that as my kids get older, um, you know, the opportunity for us to maybe do things together gets less and less. And so, when the when there are these things that we can say, you know, what that's a family thing, I am all over that, and I'm you know, and I'm excited about that. And so, you know, we started with One Division, and we watched that over breakfast on a Saturday morning, and uh, and then we went on to uh, the Falcon. Uh, and the Winter Soldier, which was the, the next series, you know, the next Marvel series. And I'm not a big Marvel fan. I'm, a, I'm actually more of a DC guy. But, uh, you know, as an act of sacrificial love for my kids, I do watch these Marvel shows with uh, my girls. And, uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that we, we watch it and we make a point of it because everyone loves a good superhero story, right? Hands up if you... If you're a fan of superheroes, or if you, or if you've watched a superhero movie, or if, or if you like a good superhero story, raise your hands up high so that I can see you. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's uh, it's 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 just wonderful to lose yourself in these uh, stories. And one of the things that links them all is that every superhero has what's known as an origin story, right? Um, and so Spider-Man was bit by a radioactive spider, that's his origin story. Uh, Tony Stark uh, built the first kind of uh, generation of, of, um, of Iron Man while he was imprisoned by enemy forces. Uh, you, know, the, you know, the Fantastic Four, who've kind of fallen off the radar a bit recently, but uh, they were hit by these kind of um, rays, you know, these kind of space rays or maybe cosmic rays and then Superman or his proper name of Cal Al he crash landed on Earth from the planet what? What's his planet called? Krypton. Okay, so that's Cal Al, that's Superman and that S actually isn't an S. I think it's the symbol that means Cal Al. So uh, there you go. Um, but then I don't know if you know that, but this true North, strong and free, this great nation, second largest country in the world, has their own superhero as well. And uh, her name is Squirrel Girl. <laughs> and she was born here in Canada. Okay, so Squirrel Girl, not Chipmunk Girl, not uh, Moose Girl, but Squirrel Girl. She was born here in Canada. And her origin story is that one day she found out that she could communicate with squirrels yeah it's not that exciting so uh, I feel sorry for this wonderful nation that uh, uh, you know that we ended up with squirrel girl who became squirrel girl because one day she found that she was a bit of a dr. Doolittle but not with every animal just with squirrels I mean that's just awesome right anyway so but, but so, so we find lots of um, origin stories in the Bible, right? And so, uh, in the book of Exodus, is an origin story itself, not of a superhero. In fact, most of the people in the book of Exodus are either um, rather villainous or maybe anti-heroes, but there aren't really many people in the book of Exodus who are good, who we would consider to be heroes or superheroes. But it's the, so it's not this origin story of a hero or a person, it's actually the origin story of a people group, of a nation, of a group of people known as the Hebrews or known as the Israelites. 
and then much later, so why this matters to us is that later the Hebrews um, actually become the origin story of the church. And so you could say that the origin story of the Hebrews, of the Israelites, is actually our origin story as the church of Christ. So, uh, so and then actually in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, uh, he uses this, this, this language, the, this uh, language of leaving, this language of Exodus. And he, he says this, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Okay, so this is the origin story. Called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, and then origin story, now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but then origin story, now you have received mercy. So that language of, uh, uh, of the book of Exodus is used of us, which is super exciting, right, in the book of First Peter. So once you were not a people, now you are a people of God. And over the next few weeks, as we look at the story of Exodus, we will be seeing ourselves in this story. Now, the word Exodus literally means exit or leaving. So every autumn, every fall, we see an exodus of, you know, the canopies, all of the Vs in the sky as they fly south, right? That's an exodus. And when I lived on a missionary ship, we once had a mass exodus of the ship's crew in the wee hours of the morning when a watchkeeper found a suspicious suitcase that no one would claim. So everyone was woken up, and they all got off the ship, and they hid behind these big, um, yeah, containers. And uh, don't finish the sentence of a stutterer. You should know that. Just let me suffer and get through it. You would think after 16 years of, of being married to one that she'd have learned, but she clearly hasn't. Anyway, so, so we went and hid, and then they found out that once everyone was off the ship, that actually that suitcase was someone's, it was a guest on board, and then with a lot of chagrin and embarrassment went and got their suitcase after having woken up nearly 400 people. Marvelous. So, but that was an exodus. That was a leaving of the ship. Um, and, so this, and, and so this word exodus means leaving. Everyone say leaving. 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 But it's not just about leaving, it's also about arriving. So everyone say arriving. 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 Because this is the moment in the biblical narrative where we see God starting to move in with the people that he loves. He starts to arrive. He starts to move in. And he, he starts to sort out that mess that started in the fall that, uh, when, when the first human sinned. Well, this is his first moment where he's kind of reversing that. And so even as they're leaving... He's arriving, so it's about exiting, and it's about arriving. Very exciting. And so the first half of the book of Exodus, you know, you don't have to read it yet, but the first half of the book is kind of the leaving part, so it's where, you know, the children of Israel leave, and then the second part of the book of Exodus is, is where God arrives um, through the covenant and uh, through the sacrificial system and the tent of meeting as well. So, you know, the first half is about them leaving, and the second half is about him arriving and this really is a picture of the life of the you know of the jesus follower right because we leave our old lives we leave our personal egypt through our own personal exodus and at the same time god 
he arrives in our lives. And so those two things are both happening at the same time. But often this, this, this leaving process is slow and it can be frustrating, right? Um, I once heard someone said that it took one day for the Hebrews to leave Egypt, but then it took 40 years for Egypt to leave, leave the Hebrews, right? Uh, so, it, so if you've ever felt frustrated by your slow rate of spiritual growth or by that sin that is still in your life, if you've ever felt frustrated, raise up your hand. I for sure have. Thank you, Ariana. This is a... Uh, yeah, we don't usually have to deal with like wind on a Sunday morning. In fact, we haven't had to deal with people on a Sunday morning. So this whole thing is very new for us. It's you know it's actually weird seeing faces and uh, smile. Like this is this is awesome. I have such a good view here. It's uh, it just smiles and sunglasses and you know hairstyles and folks and families. It's really lovely to see everyone. So this morning, as we uh, we will start our Exodus journey by looking at chapter one, verse one, through to chapter two, verse ten. We won't be reading it all, of course, but we will be. But what we'll be looking at as we look at chapter one and chapter uh, and the start of chapter two of Exodus is how to deal with large-scale change in our lives. These kind of really unforeseen negative changes in our lives. Hands up if you've over the past year and a half had any kind of unforeseen large negative change in your life at all. Yeah, okay, I see I see two hands over there. Okay, Julie. Yeah, and I would say amen to that. Yeah. So so uh, you know we 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 know what that's like. Uh, because because as we go through life towards this final union where we and God are one, like a bridegroom and a bride are one, we have to face challenges and hardships and massive changes. And so, you know, if if you're a journaler, if you write down sermon notes, then then this is our first point, is that change is sudden. Okay? Change is sudden. Let's all say that together. One, two, three. Change is sudden. One more time. Change is sudden. And then the second thing that we'll learn is that because change is sudden, it's absolutely vital that our principles are steadfast and, and, and rock solid. You know, this is also known as a rule of life. Okay, and so it's really important that we have a rule of life, that we have these solid principles, because we don't know when these massive negative changes will hit. And so the second point is that our principles must be steadfast. Our principles must be steadfast. And then thirdly, we will learn from Pharaoh's daughter that people need to be seen. People have to be seen, and I'll explain more about that later. So change is sudden, principles must be steadfast, and people need to be seen. So the first thing that we learn from Exodus is that change is often sudden. So the book of Exodus starts where the book of Genesis leaves off, right? So it's a continuation of that story. And so Joseph's extended family, uh, about maybe 70 of them, have moved from Canaan into Egypt as food, as famine refugees. Uh, and so they moved to where Joseph was, and he was really high up in the government at that time. And then and then the book of Exodus moves on really quickly to say in chapter 1, verse 6, that Joseph and his brothers and all that generation 
died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers, and they became so numerous that the land was filled with them, right? Just over and over again. They grew and they grew and they grew. That's the message there. So things are looking really good. And isn't that true that often tough changes come hot on the heels of a success or a good time in our life? You know, we aren't expecting it because things are looking good. And so when the Hebrews were flourishing there in the nation of Egypt, they were actually ruled in that, in that land by, these, by this leadership group, by these people known as the Hyksos. The Hyksos, H-Y-K-S-O-S, the Hyksos. And this kind of um, ruling family were most likely Hebrew, actually, which is interesting. But then in verse 8, here it comes, everything changes. It says, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing, or who did not know Joseph, came to power in Egypt. And that most likely was a pharaoh or a king called Achmos. We aren't actually told his name in the biblical narrative, but his name was probably Achmos. And not just Achmos, but Achmos I. Okay? And like, like leaders did in those days, I'm really glad that we don't live in those, in those days now. But what happened in those days is that you would move into power and you would kill all the leadership of the former leaders and then you would enslave all of the people. That's what happened in those days, okay? That was a healthy exchange of power, okay? So once again, in one generation, everything changes. And friends, when we get bad news, right, it's usually in an instant. It's a phone call, it's an email, it's a packed suitcase that we weren't expecting to see. It's a request to meet with the boss and we're never ready for it. And so for this very reason that we cannot prepare for bad news, for negative change, we need to have these steadfast principles already built into our lives. And this is our second point, that our principles must be steadfast. And so as we read through Exodus chapter 1, we see these wonderful principles in the most unlikely of places. We see it in a pair of midwives. Okay, verse 15 of Exodus 1 says this. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God, and they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. You know, it's that image of the baby just shooting out, you know. And so the Lord was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous and because the midwives feared God he gave them families of their own and so Pharaoh he wanted to wipe out all of the Hebrews and so he put them to hard labor first hoping to wear them down but then they multiply and they multiply like rabbits and so he tries a new ploy to you know to get the midwives whose job it is to actually bring the babies into existence to murder them and and then I think that probably what the plan was that if, if he, he gets rid of the baby boys, not the girls, but, you know, the boys then, when the Hebrew girls would grow up, they would have no choice but to marry 
local Egyptian boys, and then they would get kind of phased out in a generation. There would be no more Hebrew families after that. I think that that's probably what Pharaoh's plan was. But then, in um, but then, but but these ladies whose names were, were Shifra, Shifra, and Pua, they knew what hill they were willing to lay down their lives on. They had steadfast principles, right? They knew what was right and what was wrong. Verse 17 says that they feared God. Now, I would imagine that they feared Pharaoh as well, right? That he is he is one of the world leaders and he's their leader. But they, but they had a deeper fear and they had a deeper respect for God and for life. They had a principle and this principle enabled them to live in the right way at the right time in the midst of change, in the midst of change. And so friends, uh, you know, what this means for us is that if you have the principles of God written on your heart, if you know the Ten Commandments, if you know the Sermon on the Mount, if, if loving God and loving your neighbor is your foundation in life, then when hard times come along with negative changes and policy shifts and the flip-flops right at the top of uh, national leadership, then you will know what the right thing is to do, always if you have the principles in place. So let me ask you this. If I was to ask you right now, what are the principles on which you, on which your life, um, on, on which you live your life right now? I wonder how many of you would know what the answer is. It's so important that we know what the principles are. So when change comes, it comes suddenly. And because change comes suddenly, our principles have to be steadfast. And lastly, people have to be seen. People have to be seen. Now, let's take off one set of glasses and let's put on a new set of glasses, right? So let's all take off our glasses of looking through the eyes of the Hebrews. And now we're going to actually put on a set of glasses that are looking at the situation of the Hebrews from someone outside of the situation. So even though Pharaoh is trying to, you know, to limit their growth first, he enslaves them. Secondly, he tells the midwives, you know, to kill the baby boys. And thirdly, he tells all of the Egyptians, you know, just the regular people living in the subdivisions on the streets. He said that your job now, if you, if you consider yourself as a good national person, that your job is to take all of the baby boys of your neighbors and to throw them into the river. Isn't that awful? You know, that, that, that that's their national policy at the moment. And But even through all this, the Hebrews keep on having babies. They keep on having babies. And they keep on having babies. And then in Exodus 2 verse 1, we read this. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, him and she coated it with tar and pitch and she placed the child in it and she put it among the reeds among the uh, uh, reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Okay, so everyone here who's a mother knows that if you're doing this, then it's extreme measures. If, if you are taking your newborn baby and at three months old you are placing him in a basket and you're laying him in a river hoping that whatever happens happens you know that you literally have no other choice right you know this is the end then uh, exodus 2 verse 5 then then pharaoh's daughter went went down to the nile 
to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then the story goes that the sister who was watching from the riverbank, uh, she says, well, okay, princess, why don't I get a nursemaid for you? And, and so she goes and gets mum, and mum comes, and she's the nursemaid. And so in God's incredible plan, um, Pharaoh's daughter hires the mum to serve as the nursemaid for her own daughter until uh, her own son, until he's old enough. Verse 9, so the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So this is an incredible story, right? It's an incredible account. And if you went to Sunday school, hands up if you went to Sunday school, then you might have heard this story once or twice or 2,000 times. All right? We've, we've heard it a lot. Because what happens here is that one of Achmos the firsts, uh, Two daughters. Um, she, you know, you know, she's reading the news and she hears about, you know, uh, you know, and she hears maybe her dad as he talks around the meal table, and and she would have known that on some level there was a there was a culture war going on and there was an extermination event going on, right? She would have known that because she lived in the same household as him. But so why did she choose to get involved now? What happened to Pharaoh's daughter? That is, this is the moment that she chooses to enter into the struggle of the Hebrews. Why now? Well, here it is. You know, we're actually told in verse 6 of chapter 2. He, it says he was crying and she felt sorry for him. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. She heard the baby cry and she saw the baby's face and she probably touched the baby's cheek. Maybe she held him to her chest and she smelt the baby's smell. And in that moment, this infant was no longer part of the political problem that my daddy needs to fix. And instead, that infant was human. And so friends, maybe you have a colleague or a family member or a friend who's going through a hard time. They're experiencing massive negative changes in their lives. And you're wondering, why is it not affecting you here? Why is it not really touching you at a heart level? Maybe... It's because you haven't truly seen them. Maybe you haven't seen them because when you look them in the eye, when, when you establish their humanity, it's that much harder for you to turn away and say, I don't want to do anything about it. You know, I'm sure Pharaoh's daughter had read the news articles and she was able to turn away from it and say, that's nothing to do with me. But she couldn't turn away from a baby in a basket on a river. And, and Pharaoh's daughter could, could switch the news on the TV off, but that sound of the baby crying was like a tractor beam drawing her in and in and in. And it was a pain, it, it, you know, she had to lie and she had to hide and it cost her money and she had to sort things out. It was really inconvenient. Maybe she lost rest at night, uh, you know, you know she, maybe she had to sacrifice some of the family time. She, you know, uh, but, but, you know, the point is that once she looked at the baby, she had to do something about it. And so my, my question for you, I'm asking all of you here, is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whose story have you entered into? Whose face have you seen? Whose voice have you heard? Whose story have you entered into? You know, my uh, wife entered into the story of a homeless man last November. 
You know, she saw him walking on the side of the road and she stopped the car and she talked to him. It would have been easier and no one would have known if she'd have just maybe driven on by. But she stopped and in that moment she saw him and the church helped him out for maybe a few nights and then he left and then months go by and he, he returned a couple of weeks ago and we saw him again and that man is now our friend and we know what he likes and we know what he likes to eat and we know his name and we know his phone number and we know about him. He's not that man walking on the side of the road anymore. And all this because my wife knew that as she was driving past that people have to be seen, that we need to see people. Friends, we all have a they, we all have a them. You know, people who aren't like us, usually it's a person or a people group that, that we know something about, but we've never actually taken the time to really get to know them. Maybe it's Mormons or Muslims or the Israelis or the Palestinians or the French speakers or the English speakers or the mothers of terminated babies or white people or black people or native people or members of the LGBTQ2 S plus community or the liberals or the conservatives we all have a they and we think that we know all that we need to know about them and that's enough and we can just carry on with our lives and it might even be your neighbor who you've heard on the grapevine is struggling but you've never actually asked them about it you've never knocked on their door and so they continue to be a they but here's the truth right if you stopped and if you looked them whoever they are in the eyes and if you listen to their stories and if you humanize them by, uh, by, by, by viewing them as humans made in the image of God, then they would quickly become an us. When change comes, it's sudden. And if you're going through massive changes, then you need to have solid principles. Because these principles anchor you to something which is greater than yourself. And as you know, going through hard times, yourself is never enough. You need something larger than you. And the best principle of them all is this, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you can establish in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is running your show, if you can trust Jesus to lead you and to sustain you and to settle you and to fill your needs, if the principle of the Lordship of Jesus is solid and absolute in your life, then you will have the strength to survive that sudden change, whatever it is. I promise you that. And then thirdly, if you're watching someone go through change, remember this, that people need to be seen. We have to move beyond policies and rhetoric, and we need to see people as people, made in God's image, loved by God with that salvation purchased by Jesus himself. We need to look people in the eye, people we don't agree with, in fact, especially people we don't agree with. And we need to hear their story. We need to see their humanity, uh, that they are made in the image of God. You know, the goal isn't to say, yes, yes, I agree with you. And, and you know, whatever you say, that's not the purpose. That, you know, the purpose is to know them and to humanize them and to love them. And so, friends, if, if we can recognize that change is sudden, and if we can cultivate gospel principles that are steadfast, and if we can truly see people, then we... Um, have moved a long way towards a life that is rooted and anchored and endures the earthquakes of life. And so this morning as we are gathered here, we fall into, a, into one of two camps. 
We are either going through incredible changes or we know someone who is going through incredible changes. And so if you are someone who's going through incredible changes, then I'd like to pray for you. And know this very morning that if you trust Jesus, from that moment on, God will arrive in your life. And you will know the eternal principle of God's everlasting love inside you. And that never shifts, never changes. And with God's love inside you, you can endure anything that the world has to throw at you. And so if this is you, then uh, maybe, you, maybe you could pray along with me in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I can't do life alone. I've tried to, and I failed. Lord, I need you to be the king of my heart. I need you to be the Lord of my life. And so I confess my sin to you, and my shame, and my failure, and my brokenness, and my weakness. And I lay it all out. And I thank you that there on the cross, you, you broke down the barrier that separates God from me. And so I accept your gift of life. Would you change me? Would you transform me? Would you be my steadfast principle that enables me to survive the storms of this life? I need you. My life is yours. And in Christ, I am a new creation. Amen. Amen. And so if this is you and you just prayed that, then God heard your prayer. This is your origin story. And lastly, if you're someone who's seen, who, who God has spoken to you this morning, that there's someone or a people group or a neighbor, whoever it is, that, that has to be seen and you've not done a good job of it. If you're someone who's treated a group of people or a person as a they, as a problem to be solved or avoided, rather than as humans to be seen and rescued and engaged with and loved, as humans made in the image of God. If this is you, then I, then I invite you to pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you did not see me as a they, that you did not keep yourself at arm's length from me. Instead, like Pharaoh's daughter, you heard my cry. You entered into my situation, into my hopelessness, into my circumstance, and you rescued me at greatest cost, greatest personal cost, your life itself. You drew me out just like Moses. And so would you forgive me for not doing that to my fellow human being, for, for choosing my own comfort and my convenience over reaching out and doing the right thing. Lord, would you cleanse me of my selfishness and my pride and my fear, and would you give me the strength and the compassion and the courage to enter into their brokenness, to hear their story and to simply love them with the love that you showed me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.